0: Good, e- good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Fastat podcast. I haven't recorded in a while, and I apologize. It's been busy, both with family matters and with real-life students. It's been taking up a lot of my time. But um, some of you requested that I get back to it, and uh, I felt a bit guilty, so here I am. I'm going to uh, try to stick to a weekly uh, podcast that's related to the parashah. The Torah portion of the week, all right, from a uniquely Maimonidean perspective, which means that sometimes it's going to be uh, specifically the subject of the parasha, but sometimes it'll be a little bit associatively connected. In other words, a verse in the, this week's parasha that Maimonides discusses to bring out another point, and that's what I'm going to be doing this week, all right, um, because a lot of parasha information out there there's a lot of uh, Torah portion uh, uh, commentary inspiration but not many of them focus specifically on the Maimonides perspective which is what I aim to do this week's parasha has a lot of important interesting material and Maimonides really covers a lot of it and uh, I had to choose one and I'm going to choose something from the beginning which kind of you know, sticks out and is important. And that's, uh, the Jewish people are leaving Egypt. So finally, all the plagues are over and they're leaving. And the Egyptian, uh, uh, the, the paro has been beaten down and he kind of like is letting them go for now. Before he, you know, God hardens his heart, which that too is a question what that means, but I'll leave that for another podcast. Anyway, um, they're leaving. And there's a straight route which will take them within a few days from Egypt to Canaan. And the Pasuk says, verse says, that uh, God won't do it because uh, he's worried that they're going to see a war with the Philistines, and that's going to cause them to weaken, they won't be able to fight, and therefore we're going to go through a circuitous route, indirectly, so they take more time, so that they can have, you know, I guess have time to get over that fear. And most commentaries, you know, discuss this, will say, yeah, they were not a warrior nation, they were a slave nation, and a slave nation is not ready for war, and therefore to conquer the land through war is not something that they're willing to do, so they need some time, All right? Now, Maimonides agrees with this, and in the guide, third book of the guide, 33rd chapter, Uh, If I remember correctly, uh, he he brings this up. And, you know, sure enough, he he actually takes it a bit further. Haram Ba'am says that that God wanted the entire generation to die out in the desert. He took them to the desert to die. It's just kind of of dark. Like, he knew that these people are never going to get to Israel. They're never going to get to Canaan to conquer it. They're going to just die out in the desert. And their children, who are raised in the desert will be raised as more of a warrior nation, and they will be able to go to Israel, all right? Kind of puts into perspective uh, the entire Exodus story. Yeah, they're going into freedom, but they're really going to die in the desert as opposed to in Egypt, a place that they loved. And, and maybe they didn't love it, but a place that they knew. And that, uh, as a, again, this is tangential to what I want to talk about, but it's kind of a different perspective to uh, the Exodus Anyway, that's all in the 33rd chapter of the third book of the Guide to the Perplexed. You can look it up on your own. Now, what's interesting is uh, what Maimonides uses this verse, this pasuk, to learn. He has an interesting take from this pasuk, and that's worth uh, discussing because it'll expand our usual conversation about monotheism, its importance, how it's achieved, and how the Torah helps us get there, you know? So, um, well, basically, in this 33rd chapter of the third ch- book of, of the guide, um, we talk about the famous subject of sacrifices. Right? And most people who know about Maimonides' philosophy will have some idea about his view that sacrifices are not an end into themselves. They're only there as a tool to get us away from sacrificing to idols. So we instead of sacrificing to idols, we sacrifice to God, right? Because humans are so conditioned to bring sacrifices, or they were so conditioned to bring sacrifices, that they're not capable of not doing that. And therefore, the Torah had to give you these laws about sacrifice, the sacrificial cult in the Torah, right? In the Torah. Now, this is one of the most controversial uh, positions of Harambam that even uh, most Orthodox people do not agree with. And rabbis in his time uh, and after him have rejected. And up until today, rabbis mm-hmm. reject this view. Okay, Ahmanides commonly known as Ramban, bitterly attacked this, and argued that um, the sacrifices have intrinsic value. They have nothing to do with... Getting away from idolatry, they have magical powers to in- improve the world, and all of them do have those powers. And if you want like details, you can look up his commentary in the Torah on, uh, Yom Kip- on the Yom Kippur sacrifices, where he talks about the Azazel, the goat that was thrown off the mountain, that it's like a sacrifice to satanic forces to keep them away from damaging us. So there was a lot. There were Jews out there, and still are out there, who. Uh, vehemently reject Maimonides' position that the sacrifices, sacrificial cult, are not there for uh, any intrinsic purpose. Okay, and in this chapter he explains it, and he and he says, "I know that this is going to be controversial to many, and it will be hard for them to accept that I, you know, my position that is something so uh, detailed in the Torah with so many halachos, such a huge percentage of." the entire Torah have to do with sacrifices, and here I am, Bam, who actually wrote all the laws of the sacrifices in Mishneh Torah, as a side note, right? Here I am telling you that they're not really important in and as of themselves, they're only there as a tool to help pry us away from idolatrous practices, and maybe one day we'll be true monotheists and we will not need sac- it, it, He appears to be saying that one day we won't need sacrifices, and here is another point I want to bring out. Nowhere does he say that in the future we will not need sacrifices. That is a leap that Maimonidean commentaries, rather commentaries on Maimonides, they make that leap. They say, well, if the sacrifices are only there to get keep us away from pagan paganism, now that we're not pagans, we do not need sacrifices, and therefore in the messianic time or today, there is no um, uh, uh, law, there is no... Um, requirement to get back to bringing sacrifices in the korbanot. So that's a leap that Maimonides does not state anywhere. I just want to point that out. And part of this conversation is to actually push back against that idea and counter signal that in Maimonides' view, this is a very important point, right? Um, And you're going to see how it connects to this week's parasha as well. So stay with me here. In Maimonides' view, the religious experience their religious emotion is hardwired into the human condition, okay? You cannot get away from it. Humans will always find ways to self-nullify before things that are greater than them. They will always find ways to worship and to praise and to do acts of religious activity, right? And this is something that's almost biologically determined, right? This has nothing to do with the empirical truth of this or that religious claim. Right? Whether Whatever religion happens to be true or, or truer or closer to the truth is not relevant to the fact that humans overall are going to be religious. They're going to have religious sentiments. That's very important to recognize, except, and therefore, the job of the Torah, as it were, the, the, the goal of the Torah is not to bring a perfect religion or to, you know, but the purpose is to channel that natural human emotion into the most adaptive, most positive, and most progressive fashion. Hence, humans are going to sacrifice things of their own. Humans have a need, have an underlying drive, sacrificial drive. And that drive needs to be controlled and it needs to be managed. Right? and the Torah has a, uh, uh, a system of how to do so, and that's all the laws of the Korbanot. Right? Now, it's, it's often claimed by more progressive, uh, I guess, progressive types of Jews, whether they're modern Orthodox or you know, conservative Reformed and other denominations that, well, obviously, we're in a better time today, and we won't need um, Korbanot, we don't need sacrifices. Well, not really, because we still are deeply pagan in our outlook. All right? So we're deeply pagan in so many ways, especially from Maimonides' perspective, because to him, a monotheist is not just one who believes in one God or professes belief in one God, but it's one who's rejected idolatry. All right? As the Talmud says in Sanhedrin, that um, he who uh, rejects idolatry... It's as if he kept the whole Torah, and he who accepts idolatry, it's as if he violated the whole Torah. Right? So the per and, and Ramadri's mentions this in the same chapter. I'm paraphrasing, but he says the whole purpose of the of of the korbanot of the Torah of the mitzvot of everything is to instill in the human mind, the Jewish mind the rejection of idolatry and the acceptance of monotheism, because that's the beginning of all culture, that's the beginning of spirituality. The religion of Israel is nothing if not the rejection of idolatry. Monotheism is worth nothing if it does not include and incorporate an absolute rejection of all superstition and all paganism. That is the view of Maimonides. And therefore, you need to, um, the korbanot, part and, and you know, the sacrifices are there to instill these values to instill these uh, this position in our mind right mentally and therefore you, 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 that, that's what the carbon order there for and, and there and that and what follows is that until today you we still kind of need sacrifices because we still have not cleansed ourselves expunged our minds of souls from pagan drive from the drive to paganism, will we ever get there? I don't know if we've evolved to ever get there. This may be a never ending battle All right and that's really what my mandaian spirituality is about. It's about like uh, I guess you know taking out expunging from ourselves these these ideas, these spiritual uh, diseases right now. Uh, this is not just the only reason why we still bring Korbanot. There's another important reason. The law. The law remains the law whether or not there is some sort of spiritual justification for the law. We can provide, this is another important principle both in Harambam and in the Torah in general. We can provide all sorts of reasoning why we keep Shabbat why we circumc- do circumcision, why we bring sacrifices, like now, but that, the, the, the reasons we provide are not, uh, it doesn't go both ways, it's not that if, if, those, if now, like we don't have any more idolatry, so now you don't have to bring the korbanot. that's not how it works, because the law is eternal, there is a process where laws can be amended, they can be changed, yes, but the core of the law is eternal. A, a biblical law cannot just be cancelled, you know, abrogated. And therefore, even if a messianic time came, and even if we were to really be cleansed of our pagan uh, 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 values and our pagan habits, which we have not, um, even then we would still have to bring out. So that doesn't change anything. And therefore, the Mishneh Torah, Rambams, you know, Yada Hazakah, is full of all the halachot of korbanot are there. Because, you know, it doesn't change anything. You still have to bring korbanot, right? Just making that clear. right? But the, the purpose of this, what I'm trying to bring out here, is that circuitous route that the Torah takes as far as taking the Jewish people out of Egypt, right? And taking them to Israel on a 40-year trip instead of a one-week or two-week trip. The purpose of that. Is in order to kill them off in the desert. So, in order that their children be raised as warriors to be able to conquer the land, right? Similarly, it's possible in the Torah for laws to not have an intrinsic value, and that's okay. The purpose of certain laws is so that people instill certain values and in the future they will be a better people, a better nation, a better civilization. That's okay in the view of the Torah. And that's kind of the analogy Harambam brings from this week's uh, parasha in order to explain and defend his position on idolatry. And that can also be used to explain and defend many of his other positions on ta'ameh mitzvot, why you know different commandments have different uh, reasonings, and the reasoning that he brings for those commandments are relevant for... Uh, for, for, are, are, are relevant to instill certain values and not necessarily for some sort of magic effect that the commandment itself has that's a, an important Maimonidean principle to remember and uh, just zeroing in on monotheism right, on a higher resolution which is something that we keep on bringing up and I keep on discussing it because again, it's the core of everything it's the Shema we say it a few times a day it's we hang it on our doors and our way out, so we should remind ourselves of it, right? It's an artifili, and we wrap it on our heads and on our, our, our hearts to remind us that we have a covenant with this one God, that we have to remain faithful and monotheistic. I mean, why is it so important in the first place? Why the obsession with monotheism? Why is our prayer services, this continuous repetition of the faith in one God and rejection of others, right? why what does what value does it bring and and I and some, and I've said this in this podcast before and I think it's worth repeating again it has two main values the first value is a unified approach as a as opposed to a fragmented approach right what is a unified approach a, a unified approach is when we we look at the world as coming from one source right one creator and then it's possible for such a mind to reach scientific discoveries because such a mind would say that, would look for connecting factors in various phenomena. So, you know, Newton's physics or Einstein's relativity, they all come from this underlying view that there must be a connection between various phenomena in the world. If you believe in a multiplicity of gods, right, you would think, you would not look for connections. So even if you were smart, it would delay human creativity and human scientific discovery and progress by thousands of years because you look at everything in a fragmented form. Right? example I always bring, if you looked at the ocean and how one day the waves are really powerful and violent, and the other day they're kind of calm, you know, so the ocean, it can be a life-giving force, you you swim in it, you get clean, you catch fish from it, and you eat them, and it's sustained, right? And another day, it'll wash out your whole village, flood everyone out and kill them, it can also be deadly, right? So, uh, a, a fragmented mind would look at that and would not think to ever connect between that and the rotations of the moon, because there's gravitational pull and one. I wouldn't think of that because there's a moon god and there's an ocean god. If you were a monotheist, rather, a unified thinker, you think in a unified fashion, it would make sense for you to look for connections between these two things. Use that as an example to understand everything. All right. The humanistic tradition as well. The idea that we're all sons or daughters and we're all brothers, right? Where does that come from? It comes from rejecting the tribal god idea. Right? We're not many different gods from many different nations. There's one god created everyone, and we're all equal, therefore, under this one god. Right? Now, the so, so the constant drilling of the monotheistic principles is in order to bring about this progressive mindset, right? So... Um, a person who, who does that, he's basically constantly rejecting, being reminded to reject superstition. And he's also being reminded to reject tyranny. Because if you submit... the constant, like, submissive language of the prayer services, right? It's submitting to this one God who gets very angry if you submit to something else. So what it's actually telling you is that submitting to a tyrant... Right? To a king, to a ruler, to a religious figure. All of that is pagan because we only submit to God. The constant supplication, three times a day, or, or for Muslims, even, you know, in that in that way they're equal to us five times a day, even the constant submission to God is a should serve as a reminder that we don't submit to anyone else, to anything else. The constant unification of God and separation of God from nature is in order for us not to ascribe divinity to nature, which again will um, prevent progress right? Sacrificing to God would be the same thing, part of the same principle that's why that's Maimonides' view on the sacrificial laws and why it's important and and this is also why in his view, they would be eternal and not something that would get uh, abrogated. In future times, because in future times, including in his own time, he still had Jews who believed that God had a body or believed that there's magic buttons you can press in this world that would change your lot, your luck in the the other world. And these are ideas that need to be purged from our midst. And that's what monotheism stands for. And the circuitous route that the Torah takes to uh, take us to, uh, to the promised land for 40 years in order for us to be ready as a nation to conquer Israel and be brave and strong enough to do so can be analogous to the circuitous route that the laws take to bring us to this monotheistic um, nirvana, so to speak, in our own mind, you know, where we reach this, perf- this spiritual perfection and enlightenment of having rejected all of the idolatry in the world. And I'm just going to point out again, in that sense, the the monotheist in the Maimonidean tradition in many ways is closer to an atheist than he he or she would be to most religious religions in the world, like Christians and Hindus and uh, some sects of Judaism, etc. All right? So... That's my point for this week's parasha. Hope you guys enjoyed it, and I'll continue next week. Thank you. Shabbat shalom.